Someone asked me yesterday if I had a good week. And usually I have a pretty good answer for that question. Usually that's not a tough one. Did you have a good week? I have a decisive, quick answer. I could tell you one way or the other. But for some reason, not this time, this time that felt like a really hard question to answer. It's not that I didn't have a good week, okay? Nothing particularly distressing happened to me personally. I mean, life was, life was what life is. But there are a lot of heavy, really hard things that are happening around me both in like my personal sphere of influence and also just globally in the world. So I, I started a list of some of the heavy and hard things that are in, in my world this week. Uh, learned of a, a diagnosis of cancer for someone that we know. Fresh diagnosis, not, not sure exactly what the prognosis or the procedures will be going forward. I was talking with a friend earlier this week whose child has a chronic and potentially life-threatening illness. And that just settled in my heart, like the, the pain of that and the fear of that. Listening to the staff at the mission describe a situation where a young man came in who had a particularly difficult and debilitating mental illness and how hard that can be. In my prayers for some friends who are going through a court case where it looks like in their situation, maybe justice is not going to prevail. Texting with a friend, a very dear friend who has a really, really tough marriage and I don't think they're going to make it. Those are hard and heavy things. And in addition to that, on the national scene, I'm sure everybody in this room is aware of the go back where you came from tweet that our president made. And then watching like the justifications of that kind of communication, that's hard. And more than that, watching a mob of American citizens chanting, send her back about a foreign person. That was chilling to watch. And I don't know what to say. I'm not sure what to say to people who think that's okay. And it's all I can do not to jump in my car and drive down to the border and chain myself to a fence or something because there are atrocities being committed against children, small children, 
and it's not okay. And to those who argue that it's acceptable, I don't know what to say. And I'm not alone in not knowing what to say. I am aware of several families who are experiencing real relational conflict because of these issues and the way that we talk about them. And it is so unbelievably hard. Listen, I get it. I, mm. People that I love and respect are condoning things and they are participating in the rhetoric of dehumanizing people. Human beings made in the image of God. Every single person on this planet, whatever else is true of them, you can say they are the one that Jesus loves and was willing to give his life for. So let me just repeat myself. Even though I know in this room I am largely preaching to the choir. But I have to say, opinions about politics are one thing. I don't know why we can't separate this. There are many ways to run a country. There are many ways to, to form policy and form ways that we deal with the issues we are facing. Many ways to do that. This is over here. Completely separate. Completely separate. Because as followers of Jesus, you can have opinions about policy and you can have opinions about issues and those can look very different. But if you are a follower of Jesus, there is only one opinion about a human being that it is acceptable to have. And that is that they are loved by God. They are a child of God and they are dearly loved by him. They are worthy of dignity and concern and care and respect. Whether you consider a person to be your friend or you consider them to be an enemy, it makes little difference because we are commanded to love them both. And there is no way around this. There is no wiggle room on this. So it absolutely, it just tears me up. It makes me sick inside when I see people who claim the name of Jesus promoting racist and xenophobic rhetoric. Policies, have your opinion, have your ideas. But people, we are commanded no matter what the circumstance, to love them. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be different from the world and better than the world. Are we not? We are held to a higher standard as kingdom citizens. And man, it's heavy this week because I don't see a lot of different and I don't see a lot of better. The awareness of all of the sorrow and the suffering both on the global scale and in my particular world. All of that has been like on me all week, like a, like a really heavy blanket. Even as I've gone about my own activities and I have my moments of joy, I can't really shake the weight. 
And frankly, I think I've come to the conclusion that I'm not meant to. I'm not supposed to detach myself from the pain and the suffering in this world because to do so is to become detached from the heart of God. So I pray that my heart stays soft, even if it's painful, because at the end of the day, I'd rather have a bleeding heart than a dead one. But what do we do? What do we do? What do we do with all the suffering and the pain and the ugliness in this world? And how do we keep from losing hope? What do we do? For me, it all comes down to recentering myself on the theology and the practice of the kingdom of God. The theology and the practice of the kingdom of God are foundational to the vineyard movement, and it is unique as a theology. And with the disclaimer that people write thick books about this, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a primer on the theology of the kingdom of God. Way smarter people than me explain this way better, and if you want some resources to study this, um, I'm happy to share those with you. But when we say that term, kingdom of God, many of us are used to thinking of that as, as synonymous with heaven. The kingdom of God is fluffy white clouds in the sky, and we're going to go there some way, some, uh, someday after, after we die. But the way that Jesus talked about it, it is not a geographical, physical location, but the kingdom of God is a state of affairs. The kingdom of God is what we say when the reality exists where God is getting his way, where the world looks like he wants it to look. We say the kingdom has come when things are in alignment with God's heart. And we can know. You ask, how do we know how God wants the world to look? Well, here's how we know. We can look back on what he created in the Garden of Eden. How did things function before sin entered the world? God had perfect relationship with human beings, completely unhindered, naked and unashamed, it says. That means not necessarily just about the physical reality, but naked as in fully themselves with each other. Can you imagine not feeling shame in the presence of God? That's the way God wants the world to look. That's his heart for you. And human beings had perfect relationships with each other. Blame did not come into the equation until after they'd eaten the apple together and they both pointed at each other and said, it's their fault. The whole world was meant to be filled with the goodness of God. That was the point. He put this deposit in this couple and he said, now go and spread my goodness, my image over the whole earth. Bless everyone. Bless everything. Take care of it. Make it beautiful. That was the plan. That's the, God, that's the, that's the world that God created and set into motion before it was tainted And we can know the kind of world 
that God wants to exist. We can know what God wants the world to look like by looking at the descriptions in Revelation of what heaven will look like, whatever that means, wherever that is. What does that look like when time as we know it has ended? What does it look like? There will be no sickness. There will be no pain. God himself will wipe our tears from our faces. And every tongue and tribe and nation will stand side by side together as they express their love for God forever. There is no racism in the future world that God will bring. There is no division between people who are different than each other. We will all be together with our God. That's how we know what God wants the world to look like. And Jesus came preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God and what it looked like. He talked about it all the time. When you look at the gospels through this lens, you can see it. That's all he ever talked about. He demonstrated it by healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, and raising the dead. He talked about it in parables, stories like the one that we're going to look at in a moment. But he talked about the kingdom of God in a particular way when he was here. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God as both here and also coming in the future. The kingdom of God is now and it is not yet. That is, a, that is a very vineyard phrase, the now and the not yet. That's part of our theology and practice of the kingdom. When Jesus broke into human history, he brought some of forever with him. And we can have access to future things now. but the future has not yet arrived in its fullness, and so we do not yet experience everything that we will experience someday. Now and not yet. This is why sometimes we pray for healing and we see people's bodies restored. There are people in this room who have experienced actual physical healing of real things that are wrong with their bodies. Access to future things now. But it's also why sometimes we pray for healing and nothing much seems to happen because the kingdom is also not yet and it is coming. And we like the kingdom now much more, of course, don't we? I do. When everything seems like it's going well and the bad things just bounce off of us, and life is full of joy and sunshine and happiness. I like the kingdom now much better. But I absolutely love the vineyard and I love this theology because it is vital. It is so important that we have a framework to process pain and suffering because this life is full of it. of it. And if we don't understand that the kingdom has not yet fully come, then when bad things happen, we are incredibly vulnerable. Our faith is vulnerable. 
We might be tempted to think that none of it's real. We're certainly tempted to think that God's not good. We really only have two options there, don't we? We either blame God or we blame ourselves. The kingdom of God is both now and all at once at the same time. It is not yet. And some days, some weeks, some seasons of life, it can feel like the not yet is winning. We can feel like the struggle and the pain and the injustice and the heartache, like it is just too much to bear. And we can feel like we're being crushed under the weight of it all, just the heaviness. That's what I feel this week. I just feel the heaviness of it all. But it is important in these times to remind ourselves and to remind, our, remind each other that there is something else that is true of the kingdom. And that is the way, the manner, the mechanism in which the kingdom of God grows and advances. So let's look at the way that Jesus describes it. I'm going to read out of Matthew 13, a couple of verses. Jesus often spoke in stories and, and word pictures because it can help us understand things that are completely complicated. And I love that about him. So Matthew 13, starting in verse 31. He told them another parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and it becomes a tree so big that the birds come and perch in its branches. Some translations say birds come and find their shelter in its branches. Smallest of seeds grows into the largest of garden plants. This is an unbelievably hopeful passage. Why do I say that? Because it tells us that we don't need much to make a difference. You think about it. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? If you're ever in a Christian bookstore in the 90s, you saw one in a necklace. I promise you it's true. <laughs> a mustard seed is so small. It's so tiny. That's the point. Like if you put it in the palm of your hand, it, tiny, like pepper or something like that. And if you, if you dropped it in the grass, if, like it, if it fell onto the carpet here, we, we would never find it again. It would seem like it disappeared because it's so small. Tiny, minuscule little things. And God says that is all that is needed. That's all that you need for the kingdom of God to grow and grow big. Big beyond all we could ask or imagine. 
small acts of kindness and faith. The kind of small acts that you and I can do. They can turn the world upside down. I have been so fortunate to witness this principle at work in such a dramatic way during my time here at Vineyard. See, I was around in 2004 when we moved into this building. We weren't always in this building. We were in a different building. We had a fire. We rented an awful building for a while, and then we moved in here in 2004. And as soon as we moved into this building with this fantastic downtown location, our pastor at the time started to pray, how can we use this space to serve our community? And it took a few years for the idea to go from an idea to to reality, but we settled on the idea of throwing a couple washers and dryers in an unused Sunday school classroom downstairs. That was somewhere around 2009, something like that. And it grew. It grew our little free laundry mat where, you know, was open a couple days a week and a couple people came in and washed their clothes without having to pay for it. It grew. It grew into an organization that helps the disadvantaged in the Rolla community. It's tied in with lots of other helping organizations so that now... Not only can people wash their clothes and take a shower and get a meal and and have some place to rest their head in out of the weather or whatever it is that's going on in their life, but also they can connect with resources that will help them to figure out their situation and take steps forward into a better life. In the span of 15 years... I have seen with my own eyes every step of the way what can happen when we take our little mustard seeds and we plant them. It's easy to look at it the way it is now and say, oh, I could never. But a giant tree has literally grown and gives shelter to many people in our community. A city has changed the way that it deals with poverty and homelessness. When we first started out, when I first moved to Rala, the the method for dealing with someone who was homeless was to buy them a bus ticket and send them on to a bigger city where it was assumed there were more resources. Never mind if you're fifth generation Rala and all your family's here and your job and whatever, here's a bus ticket, move along. And we don't want those people in our backyard anyway, so maybe that's why I'm a little sensitive to the rhetoric because I hear it every day about the people that we serve in the mission, and it's wrong. It's not accurate, and it's not okay. But it grew out of the small acts of love and obedience of the people in this church Every dollar that was given, every meal that was cooked, every time somebody spent the night so that people could come in out of the cold, even just being the kind of person that will attend a church that opens its doors to people that look different than you, that's an act of faith and obedience. People think we're nuts because we do that. And I'm okay with that. 
But knowing what has happened, watching what has happened through the mission, it gives me incredible hope for other situations that seem overwhelming. Because little is much in God's economy if that little is given with love. Some of you know this. That's, that's what my tattoos are, by the way. They were inspired by this verse. I've got the, the tree, and it has a little bird nesting in it. And that's to remind me every day, in a very tangible way, when I look down, if I, if I am tempted to hang my head in despair, here is the reminder that I can trust the work of the kingdom to grow. I can trust that every small thing I do with great love, as Mother Teresa recommended we do, those small things will add up and God will turn them into something amazing. Jesus continued in Matthew 13. In verse 33, he said, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took, gender stereotypes a little bit, you know, the guy plants the field and the woman bakes the bread, but that's another sermon another day. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Have you, have you ever seen yeast? I know we've got some, some bakers in the room. Seen yeast? It's also something that's very small, super small, but a powerful substance. It doesn't take much of it to permeate and completely transform a lump of dough. If you have ever baked bread, you understand that right at first, when you first mix the yeast in, it doesn't look like very much is happening, does it? But give it some time and give it some space. And the dough will rise. And the longer you let it sit, the bigger it gets. The dough cannot help being affected by the presence of the yeast. And this, Jesus says, is your power and your influence toward the world around you. So do the things that seem small. You do the things that seem small. Love your family and love them well with kindness and compassion and grace. Extend that same kindness to strangers in public. Smile. Be kind to your cashier. Be a generous person. Tip well when you go out to a restaurant. I have never been a server, but I've heard from friends that are that the Sunday afternoon shift is the least desirable shift to work because church people are notoriously cheap and rude. That should not be the case. Tip well to people that make two bucks an hour it's a way to make the world look a little bit more like Jesus wants it to look. 
Put your shopping cart away. Drive courteously. <laughs> oh, I'm stepping on some toes now. At least take your fish off your bumper before you flip people off, please. <laughs> Start small, mustard seeds. Be a good friend. Be a good friend. Invite somebody in this room. Look around this room. Go, go ahead. It's okay. Right now, do it. Look around this room. There's someone in this room that you don't know very well. Invite them out to lunch. Get to know them better. This is your family. Church is a family. Volunteer with an organization that's helping people. And if you're passionate about things that are going on far away, donate some money to those organizations that are helping people. Listen more than you talk. Resolve. Put your, put your steel-toed boots back on. Resolve to be respectful on Facebook. I mean, everywhere else, please, too. But gosh, you're not anonymous. When the news channel that you watch tells you to hate or fear someone, no matter which channel it is, notice I'm not, I'm not taking a side here. Whichever channel it is, if they tell you to hate someone or fear someone, decide that you will value God's instructions to us more than you do what they tell you. God's instructions should rate higher to us than those of this lost and broken and confused world. Turn off the poison, the 24-hour news cycle, constant radio of whatever persuasion. Do not misunderstand me and try to pigeonhole me here. I care very little for politics, but one day I will stand in front of God and he will ask me, did you speak my truth to the people with whom I entrusted you? That stuff is poison. Turn it off and go meet your neighbor. Go outside. Find out how you can be the salt and the light and the seed and the yeast right across your own fence. And you could take that literally or metaphorically and it would still be right. Who is my neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. Everybody's your neighbor. These are the things that we must do when we are tempted toward despair because this is the way that the kingdom comes. It's small at first. It seems so small, but growing always growing, spreading, changing the environment around us. We're meant to be the yeast that transforms the dough of this world 
so that our world looks a little bit more like Jesus wants it to look. It is through everyday obedience to to his command to love that the way forward, the next step, becomes clear. Jesus told his disciples that they could expect life to be difficult. We look at John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things. He telling his disciples about, you know, the fact that they were going to be scattered and, and he was alluding to his death. Like, there's some, there's some crap coming. But I told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Nobody puts that one in a promise book that you buy off of the cashier, you know, the checkout lane. But it's, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And these words, they can bring peace to us as well. Even in the midst of the storms that are raging in our world, And the very real and very hard and heavy things that are going on in the lives of those of us in this room. His kingdom is coming. It is always advancing. It is always working. It is always growing. Sometimes it seems painfully slow. But the truth is that it's slow and it's steady. And love will win in the end. Love will win.